Let's pray. Oh Jesus, I am so grateful that in the book of Revelation, you are referred to as a lion. And then as you head to the cross and are resurrected, John chooses to call you the lamb. And for the remainder of his letter, you are the lamb worthy of all praise, the lamb who was slain, the lamb who is also our shepherd and cares for us. And oh, how we need you, Lord Jesus. We need you to shepherd us and guide us because we, like sheep, have gone astray. But Lord, we're grateful for new mercies each and every morning. I'm thankful for New Year's Eve and day, a brand new year, in which we can just kind of uh, put the past behind us and we can look at this brand new year and say, Lord, what is it that you would have us do? Who is it that you would have us be as a people, not just as individuals, but as a congregation, as a church? Because we know that we, none of us is uh, in a solo individual, an island by itself. We were made for connection, and it is in this connection and through this gathering that we can see you more clearly and see you in our lives and that we can be uh, the hands and feet of Jesus for others. So I pray that we would recommit ourselves uh, to gathering routinely, uh, being a part of what is going on here and just looking for you as we come into this place. And we pray that the, the things that uh, may be let slack off or new habits that we picked up or whatever it is in 2022 that just doesn't need to make its way into 2023, that you would take that from us. We give it all to you because we long to be a light for you unto the nations, unto the people of Palestine and beyond. We ask you to forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for those things that we have done and left undone, uh, those things that we have uh, said and left unsaid, the ways in which we have wounded others, we have wounded ourselves. Lord, we are grateful that you come to heal us and save us from ourselves, and we pray that you would do that in this new year. We also want to lift to you burdens and cares and concerns that uh, we can't help but bring into this, this new year, things uh, that were a concern for us at the end of last year and continue to be, but, but this year we want to leave these at your feet because when you tell us to take your yoke upon us, that means we have to remove the yoke that we're already carrying. And so we want to take this yoke of burdens off, lay it down at your feet, and then take your yoke upon us, meaning that we are part of the team, part of uh, the places that you are leading us to go and doing the things you're calling us to do. And so, Lord, we're going to call out names and situations to you right now as we say these. We pray that you would hear our prayer. Pilgrims of Emmaus walk 100. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Death Corson. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 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 My entire family that has COVID. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Number three. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. John Hafner. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Bill Hodson family. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. For healthy pregnancies. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Unspoken. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Sister Brandy Dudley. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. My parents. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Grace Church. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Union Church. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. St. James and Silas Chapel. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Pastor Jimmy and Marie's Church. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Pastor Emily. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Tracy and Jack. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, we lift these and any unspoken requests to you. Lord, you know, a few weeks ago, I was in this sanctuary while it was empty. And one of the things that I prayed for on that day was that you We pray that for 2023. There are plenty of churches for the right people, and I pray that they would find those churches and be happy there. But I pray that you would draw the wrong people here. The folks that have never felt home in church, the folks that have never been comfortable in church, the folks that feel like they don't belong in church, that if they come to church, they will be judged or turned away or whatever it is that keeps them. That for some reason in 2023, they would have this notion in the back of their mind that maybe they need to go to church. And somehow, some way, they would find their ways in our doors. And that when they come in, that our congregation would embrace them and say, welcome home. Lord, that is my prayer for 2023. I thank you for this day. May you be glorified in all that we say and do today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so I have a question for y'all. Do you guys have any pets? Yes. Yes. I have one cat. One cat. What's your cat's name? Skylar. Skylar. Okay, well, we have a bunch of pets at my house, probably too many, um, but I have this one dog named Doc who likes to get into trouble sometimes. Does Skylar ever get into trouble? 
Sometimes your parents are nodding. Yes. <laughs> so Doc sometimes likes to uh, escape out of our fence. He figures out he's. We call him Houndini because he just he likes to get out of places he's not supposed to. Um, and he'll try to run into traffic, or he'll try to get into the trash cans and eat something he's not supposed to, and then he gets sick. Or um, sometimes on our back porch, he gets really really excited about seeing a squirrel or a deer or something, and he'll jump off the top of our back porch down all the steps at once, missing every single step, and he hurts his back leg. And he comes to me and he's so confused why he's hurt or why he's sick or why he's, you know, why he's not feeling good. And sometimes I wish that I could speak dog. Do you guys ever wish you could speak cat and explain to your cat why they shouldn't get into trouble? Sometimes I wish I could become a dog and talk to Doc just for a minute and say, okay, here's the way you need to live. I have the fence up because I love you and want to protect you, not because it's a challenge for you to get out of. Um, don't jump off of the stairs because then you'll hurt your leg again. You know, here's how you should live because I love you and I care about you. But I can't become a dog. I don't speak dog. But did you know that that's kind of what God did for us? So God from heaven was looking down at all of these humans that he had created and said, you know, I want to teach them how to live the right way because I love them so much, right? And so God became Jesus, and Jesus put on a human body, like a real human body that felt all of the human things. Jesus got cold. Jesus got hot. Jesus got sick. Um, you know, Jesus probably skinned his knee when he was a kid, when he fell. Um, all of those things. But Jesus did that to show us how to live and how to be a good human and how to um, walk the right way and to understand what it is that God was trying to tell us all along. Right, because we didn't quite understand it. Kind of like Doc doesn't really understand me and why I keep fixing the fence and making it taller. <laughs> but I do it because I love him. Sometimes we don't always understand God, but that's why God sent Jesus. God came as Jesus to show us all the ways to live and all the ways that God loves us. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Well, will you guys pray with me today before we head back? All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for becoming human in Jesus so that we could know how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I have dogs and cats that get into trouble. For the cat, my language is a squirt bottle. <laughs> right? That's the language I speak. Our scripture reading this morning, gosh, folks, we're in the New Testament now. We've switched over from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We are in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Listen now for a word from the Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, 
Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So uh, the sermon that I wrote today, now Calvin said he liked it. I'm sorry, I'm calling you out, Calvin. Calvin said he liked it, but I thought it was overly theological. Like I kind of geeked out on some theology this week, uh, but it's what ended up on the paper. And so then I thought, well, I'm just going to preach it, Lord. I mean, you know, if if people start falling asleep, well, at least I get to talk about some theology, which is always fun for me. You know, uh, when we say the creeds uh, or when we sing the creeds, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, um, we talk about who Jesus is. Right? If you think about it, we say that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is born of a virgin, uh, He's the one that suffered and died and rose again. We say that He is uh, going to come back to judge. We say that He is our Savior. Uh, we say these types of things about Jesus in the creeds. If you've ever paid attention to them, though, we don't say how it is that Jesus saves us. Or what Jesus does. We say who Jesus is, but not what Jesus does. That's not one of the things that we say. Now, there's a lot of different theories that are out there. And some are more popular than others. Some are very helpful. Some are dreadful and need to be gotten rid of immediately. But these are all theories because the church, when I say the church, I mean the Holy Catholic Church, like the universal church. There are uh, some of these things that we have just never put into official doctrine. Now, we have put into doctrine uh, who Jesus is. We know that Jesus is born of a virgin. That's solidified in church doctrine. If your church does not believe that Jesus was uh, not born of a virgin, then you may be in some kind of a uh, church-like thing, but you're not really within the Orthodox Church. Okay, But when it comes to these theories of how Jesus saves us, we've never really agreed upon one solid doctrine. We call these atonement theories. Now, that's a made-up word. Somebody took at-one-ment and put it together to create this new word, atonement. At-one-ment, meaning how is it that Jesus brings humanity and God together in light of human sin? So human sin separates us in some form or fashion. Jesus brings us back together. That's called an atonement theory. How does Jesus do that? There's no official doctrine, but one of uh, the earliest theories that that started to kind of float around was called incarnational atonement. Incarnational atonement. So knowing who Jesus is, one of the things that we have put into doctrine and that we know is that Jesus is both fully divine and fully human. God is, uh, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And those two natures can be found in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. 
Now, they spent hundreds of years working out how those two natures work toward each other, and if one changes the other, both are unchanged, but they are not separate. In one person, two natures, fully divine, fully human. We know this. Uh, it, this has been set down in doctrine. Okay, This can't be changed. But it was really important for the first followers of Jesus to really hash this, that out. Why? Because, well, they knew Jesus. Not only that, they knew his family. They knew the family of Jesus. They knew that Jesus wasn't an apparition or a ghost. That Jesus had flesh and blood. That he got hungry. That he cried. That he nursed as a baby. That he played. He slept. He probably fell and scraped his knees. He had headaches. He had heartburn. Jesus experienced all these things. And so it was really important for the first followers of Jesus to say, no, we saw these things happen in him. He was fully human. And so while Jesus may be Emmanuel, God with us, we also need to make sure that we say God was human in every sense that you and I are, except he was without sin. He never sinned. But he was still like us in every way human. So from this, a guy by the name of St. Gregory, one of the earliest church followers, in 101 A.D., 100 years, not very far into uh, post-Jesus, but 101, he said this wonderful saying, drew this conclusion. He said, that which is not assumed is not healed. Let me say that again. That which is not assumed is not healed. You see, he had this theory that God assumed the flesh of humanity in order to heal it from all that we are susceptible to. So I mean, think about all the things that you complain about every single day, right? Hunger, fatigue, wounds, illness, depression, loneliness, joint pain, temptation, sin, death. That Jesus assumed all of these things, became human in every sense, and experienced all of these so that he might heal us from our own sin and suffering. Now again, this is just a theory, but man, this is a theory that I can get behind. This is one that I love. I love. We left our altar set up with the nativity scene today. We did this intentionally because today, January 8th, half the churches in the world are celebrating Epiphany, which Chuck just told us about, which was on January 6th. Uh, and the other half of the churches in the world are celebrating the baptism of Jesus. Now, I read the text about the baptism of Jesus. We wanted to make sure that we highlighted Epiphany because as Chuck said, this is the last bit of Christmas. Uh, it's the last part of the Christmas season and it's the time in which we recognize that the divine nature of Jesus was recognized by Gentiles and that the Gentiles came and were the first to bow down and worship Him and present Him with gifts. And from this we learn that Jesus is for the whole world, not just the Jews. Jesus is for everybody. But today we read the story 
of the baptism of Jesus in which he begins his public ministry. Jesus has been around for 30 some odd years, but it's just now that he's kind of stepping out into the limelight and beginning his public ministry, preaching that the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and to repent and showing the love of God and healing people and feeding people. But it begins right here in this moment in his baptism. And I love the Gospel of Matthew because it's the only one that records this uh, exchange between John and Jesus in which John says, wait a minute, Jesus, this thing is backwards. I should not be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus responds, John, this is the way you and I will fulfill all righteousness. Fulfill all righteousness. I think I probably read that about 200 times this week. Fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean to fulfill all righteousness? I started looking up the word righteousness in the Gospel of Matthew. I wanted to know how he used it. I think he uses it about seven different times. The first time that he uses it is in chapter 1 or 2. He's talking about Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Matthew says that he was a righteous man. That when he found out Mary was pregnant and he knew the child wasn't his... Um, he was going to dismiss her quietly rather than uh, publicly shaming her. And it was an angel that came and spoke to him in a dream and said, no, this is of God and you need to go along with this. And Joseph said, okay, I'm in. But Matthew says he was a righteous man. So, so righteousness in this sense, when we're talking about Joseph, means something like good moral character. He's just a good guy, just an upstanding guy. But we've already said that Jesus was human in every sense except for sin. So Jesus didn't need to be made righteous in that sense. John, up until this point, has been baptizing people in the Jordan as a symbol of their repentance, calling them to repent. Change the way you think about things because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And for folks that made a decision to kind of, kind of, you know, this New Year's resolution kind of deal, I want, to, I want to live differently going forward, they would be baptized. So when Jesus comes and says, I want to be baptized, John's thinking like, but Jesus, you're already a, a good dude. You're already a good guy. This, is, this doesn't make sense. And I was confused too until I remembered that righteousness can mean something else. Relatively recently in theology, Theologians are starting to talk about the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God, which refers to uh, God's saving justice or God's faithfulness uh, to humanity and to creation. So, so in the Bible, you can encounter human righteousness, which is moral character, or you can come up against God's righteousness, which sometimes is translated as restorative justice coming into the world. Justice that restores things back to its right place. That is righteousness as well. So if you take St. Gregory's a theory of incarnational atonement and you combine it with Jesus' desire to fulfill all righteousness in his baptism, I think, I think what you get is God ushering in God's faithful plan of salvation in a human baptism. 
specifically in the baptism of Jesus. That somehow, someway, the mystery of God's grace is being delivered into the world through this baptism. Which is why Jesus says, John, we've got to do this thing. Now, I came across a couple different translations I thought were interesting. These are paraphrases, and so they, they paraphrased it as they understood it. The message, uh, Eugene Peterson, the message said, when John uh, pushed back, Jesus insisted, do it, he said. God's work, putting things right all these centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. I like that. God's putting things right is coming together right now in this baptism. The New Testament for everyone. This is uh, N.T. Wright's translation. It says, this is how it's got to be right now, said Jesus. This is the way for us to complete God's whole saving plan. You get the gist of what's being said here? According to these translations, and maybe how I'm thinking we probably should read this, some way, somehow, again, it's a mystery, but God's saving plan was coming into the world in the baptism of Jesus. That part of Christ's work to heal the human condition was dependent upon this moment. And we call that a sacrament, right? God chooses ordinary, normal things and normal people to usher in mysteries of grace. Now, does this mean that God couldn't do it another way? No, of course. God could do whatever God wants, any way that God wants. But God chooses the dirty waters of the Jordan and John the Baptist with Jesus to say, this is how my restorative justice, my righteousness, is coming into the world through this moment. So we've got to do this, John. We've got to do it. I love how we get a glimpse of the Holy Trinity in this moment. As the sun comes up out of the water and the spirit descends like a dove and the voice of the Father tells anyone who would listen that this is my beloved Son, the one in whom I am well pleased. And then from this moment, the ministry of Jesus begins empowered by the Holy Spirit in a new way. And so it's from this that I believe we get our understanding of Christian baptism. It's in the baptism of Jesus that we find out what Christian baptism is all about. That somehow, some way, when the water is applied to the individual at this font, sprinkling on the head or dumping them in the tub, immersing them, that as that person comes up out of the water, that the Father declares, this is my beloved child, the one in whom I am well pleased. That the Spirit descends and seals this declaration and empowers us for the beginning of our new journey of faith. That the healing work of the incarnation of Jesus begins to do its work in us. Which is why we think baptism is so important. Not that baptism saves anybody, but it's the mode and method by which God has declared my righteousness comes into the world and begins to make things right in this moment. I don't know about you, but 
I am utterly amazed at the idea that the work of Jesus didn't just occur on the cross. So many of the theories that we have out there. Jesus saves us on the cross. Jesus hung on the cross for us and died for us, and that's the way that Jesus saves us. Which means that the life of Jesus, well, it was great, but then he had to wait till he was 33 to do the work of God. And I love the idea that the work of Jesus actually began the day he was born and took his first breath. That as a baby, those first hunger pangs, he was doing work. That, that first colicky night that he had and Mary couldn't get him to go to sleep, he was doing work. That everything that he experienced through his life was for us and on our behalf. That when in the Gospel of John he finally hangs on the cross and says, It is finished. He doesn't mean my crucifixion is finished. He means the work of my entire life is finished. That I have assumed every aspect of the human life, both good and bad. I have seen great things and I have suffered tragedies and loss. And I'm going to take all the bad and I'm going to apply my divinity to this and heal it all. So that those who put their faith in me, my work will be applied to their lives. I find that utterly amazing. That's so much bigger and grander than the idea that Jesus just died for us. No, Jesus lived for us too. And suffered for us in every way that we suffer. And so for us, that healing begins with baptism. I mean, Jesus is always working on our behalf, right? The Holy Spirit is always with us from the moment we're born. God is, there's never a moment that we're apart from God. But something happens in baptism where the righteousness of God comes into our lives in a very powerful way involving Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And baptism is so important in the Gospel of John that he ends it. He ends it with Jesus standing in front of the eleven because Judas is gone by this point. But he's been raised from the dead and he's standing in front of the eleven. And the last thing he says to them is, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. And thus ends the Gospel of Matthew. Go and make disciples and usher God's righteousness and salvific work into their lives via baptism. And it's for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. Now go and I will be with you. so I pray that we don't lose the wonder of this mystery, this gift of baptism. You know, recently we did a remember your baptism. I sprinkled your faces as you came up for communion. You know, we put the font out in the narthex so that you can come in, you can touch the water, you can put it on your forehead. And I think that's good. I hope that we do that regularly. Remember our baptism. 
But I hope that we also remember that we are called to actively lead people into discipleship and to baptize them. Because the good gifts of God, the healing work of Christ is for them too. And how do they know unless we tell them? And so I pray that the life and the death of Jesus continues to have power and meaning for people because it was a real life lived. It was a real sacrifice given from birth to death all on our behalf, on their behalf. So may we make disciples for Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved, you're completely forgiven, and you are uniquely empowered. And now you're called to go out into the world and be a light for Jesus in the world. Guess what? You're probably going to make some mistakes. But when you make those mistakes, it doesn't affect how God feels about you because God's love for you is not dependent upon your performance. It's rooted in His amazing grace as demonstrated by the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so because of that, when He looks at us, He says, Beloved, I love you just as you are, perfectly. And I love you too much to leave you there. And so he's transforming us. That's our prayer. So as you go from this place, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please take that good word, be encouraged, and go in peace.